Mark chapter four. Well, we have another one of those stories, a famous story. Many of you probably know this story. I love going through the Bible, even though some people might say, well, man, we've heard this story before, uh, but the Bible is a deep book of understanding and we can never really fully cover the scriptures. you know. And so uh, let's approach this little story. It's about a storm. Bible, a lot of storms in the Bible. Um, why are the storm stories there? Um, well, uh, they teach us a lot of good stuff. Hopefully we learn some of those things. Did you guys happen to catch this video that went viral? Um, these little leaguers were playing baseball um, and this little nine-year-old catcher, and this just kind of cracked me up. He's there just in a nice sunny Florida day playing a little, little baseball and watch what happens to the catcher here. He's ready to roll. <laughs> Uh, man, it just kind of came out of nowhere. You know, this poor little kid, who am I, where am I, why am I here, you know? Um, <laughs> I, I love the 17-year-old umpire, man, comes to the rescue and just jumps in there and throws his life on the line. Uh, <laughs> uh, and, and good news, the kid survived. So um, um, anyway, I probably should turn that off. It's pretty fun to watch. Um, but storms often come when you least expect it. And, and uh, this is one of those situations where the disciples, seasoned fishermen, guys who knew how to you know, do the whole Sea of Galilee thing with their boat and everything, um, it's gonna test them and try them. And there's a guy named Oliver Wendell Holmes. He was a Supreme Court justice back in the early 1900s. And he told this story, a really cool story um, about why the farmer's almanac became sort of a trusted um, sort of, uh, you know, record of weather and stuff like that. Um, he said, one night in 1883, the weary editor of a New England farmer's almanac closed his desk and was preparing to leave for the evening. Um, he had predicted the weather conditions for every day of the coming year, except for July 13th. Uh, it was the only day, but he thought, I'll figure that out in the morning and, and then uh, finish it up. Well, that night, this young errand boy came running and knocked on his door and said, hey, uh, bad news, we have to have the almanac on the train tonight in order to have it published in the amount of time that we need to have it out in, in, in perfect timing. Well, he was agitated. He said, okay, kid, go to the thing, uh, fill out July 13th, you know, tell just whatever weather seems appropriate, you know, for July 13th, write that in there and then send it off. And so the kid goes down to the office and fills in July 13th and then puts it off to the printers. When it comes back, um, this, this publisher thought, oh no, I'm doomed. It was already uh, kind of uh, failing his, his almanac. Nobody was really believing it. But um, when he saw what the kid wrote, he was thinking, oh no, I'm totally doomed. Because on July 13th, the kid wrote this, wind, hail, and snow for July 13th. And he was so bummed, he, he called in the office boy and said, what were you thinking? He said, I think it'd be nice to have a little snow in July. That's what he said. Um, in despair, the editor thinks, oh man, I'm gonna be uh, totally going bankrupt when they see how, how, how badly this is. But as it turns out, you guessed it, on the morning of July 13th, 1884, wind, hail, and snow did descend on New England that year. Uh, it was this one prediction, the almanac became both famous and prosperous, all because of an office boy's far-fetched prophecy. Uh, I love this story that Oliver Wendell Holmes told because um, it, it, it is kind of funny how weather, we really can't tell. We're not good uh, at predicting the weather. Do you guys remember the Portland weatherman who um, was grading himself every, every night? He'd give himself you know, an A, B, or C, or D, or F. Uh, and it was, it was, I think he had to stop doing it because it was just, he was not getting good grades. 
trying to predict the, the local weather and what have you. Uh, here in Mark chapter four, we have a storm that sort of catches the disciples by surprise. Um, but Jesus seems to be perfectly in control in the whole story. Let's take a look. It's Mark chapter four, verse 35. And there it says, and the same day when the evening was come, he, Jesus, saith unto them, let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, what manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? These disciples are just trying to figure out who are we following? I mean, what in the world is this? You know, they, the, the poor disciples, they have no idea of who really Jesus is, but we know it's easy for us. Well, he's God in the flesh. God becomes a man, Emmanuel, and lives among us. And if God can say, let there be light, and the sun appears in the solar system, uh, calming a little storm on the Sea of Galilee is no big deal. Um, but the disciples still are trying to figure this out. Now, um, one of the things, if you've been to Israel, um, the one thing I get all the time when I take people to Israel is how small everything is. Small towns, small cities, small distances. You know, Israel, the whole country is smaller than New Jersey. Um, and our tour, we go from the very tip of the northern part all the way to the tip of the southern part of Israel. And our, we go down to a lot and all the way in between. And it's just amazing how you can cover the whole country of Israel in a few days. It's, it's incredible. But one of the things people marvel is how small the Sea of Galilee is. When you grow up as a kid coloring the picture, you're picturing kind of the ocean and these ships and the disciples were in a big ship. Um, but you, you gotta understand in the first century during the time of Jesus, uh, that's not exactly the best description. It, um, by the way, the King James translators and some of even the newer translators, um, there, there was a, in 1611, I think there was an attempt to sort of glorify or magnify the stories of the Bible. You don't have to do that, by the way. The stories by themselves are perfect uh, without flaw, but they, they kind of embellished. There were little ships and you're picturing like, you know, the Titanic going through the ocean of Galilee uh, and they're being tossed in this big ship. Uh, no, uh, the ship was probably 20 feet long. Uh, we would call it a dinghy uh, or a boat, maybe a small fishing boat. They found fishing vessels, uh, by the way, in, in Galilee, uh, from the first century. And there's a boat you can go see that, that's um, 2,000 years old. It's really cool. The Jesus boat, as they call it, because it could have been really from the time of Christ. But when you look at that boat, I'm not sure most of you would wanna cross the Willamette River in that thing. Uh, that'd be a perilous journey. Um, but uh, these disciples, they were out there in the Sea of Galilee. You think, well, how big could the waves and the wind be? Well, that's kind of an interesting part. Uh, when we go to the Sea of Galilee, this is a trip we did recently where there was um, a dust storm. And it, it looks kind of like fog or clouds, but it's actually dust blowing from Iraq. 
uh, into Israel. But, um, but uh, it, was, it was sort of dusty and windy. But the Sea of Galilee, we take, a, we take a ship. It's a small ship, probably 80 feet long. And we get all the eighth Greekers. We sing songs and do a Bible study out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. It's a total blast. Um, but, um, but those are huge compared to the ones the disciples were on. Um, I have been on the Sea of Galilee where I've seen, seen uh, three or four foot swells. And uh, you think, how could that happen in such a small, uh, you know, little lake? Uh, you think, well, I, that looks like an ocean. But if you see the faint background, there's a mountain. Uh, the widest part is like 12 miles. Um, these are a sunny day on the cliffs of Arbel. I was up there on the top of the cliff looking down. This area that you're looking at is where 75% of the gospel actually happened right there. As you look down on that, uh, the other 25% mostly happened in Jerusalem. But right, this little picture right here is where all, almost all the gospel story happened, right on the Sea of Galilee. It's pretty cool. But all that to say, Brett, how could it be such big waves? Well, it's actually quite a phenomenal uh, bit of science if you look at it. The temperature down here is a sweltering warm weather down in the Sea of Galilee. The, the Sea of Galilee sits 600 feet below sea level and it just gets kind of hot and steamy in there. Plus the, the, the high mountains uh, sort of surround the Sea of Galilee, but up in the Northern region, there's a big canyon where the wind comes howling through. And if you've studied in science, the Venturi effect, where wind actually speeds up, that's what happens. The wind shoots out over the Sea of Galilee and causes storms that are un, unlikely for a typical lake of this size. And that's probably what was happening uh, when the disciples found themselves in perilous times. Um, but all that to say, um, what's this storm on the Sea of Galilee all about? Well, there's some things to learn from this story. And the first thing, first, first point of three is I wanna show you, first of all, peace in his promise. Peace in his promise. Um, the disciples, the thing that they uh, are feeling is fear. It says they were afraid, they were freaking out, uh, they even kind of got a little bit uh, hostile with Jesus. What, don't you even care that we're all gonna perish? And they're totally freaked out. And Jesus says, oh, why are you so afraid? Um, I, I think the disciples would answer, because we're gonna drown. The ship is going down. Don't you care? Um, and then even after Jesus calms the storm, they're even more afraid because Jesus calmed the storm. It says in verse 41, and they feared exceedingly and said one to another, what manner of man is this? These guys, what they need is not fear, but peace. They need to replace the fear with peace. Um, this is a good and appropriate lesson for us today. You see, the storms of the Bible, we can liken them metaphorically to the storms that we face. What are the storms that you face? Financial difficulty? Going to school? That's a storm. Um, dealing with relationships? Uh, what about your career or job? Sometimes you go through storms in life and the Bible gives us all kinds of lessons from the storms of the Bible. And this, this story is a great one for that. And it really deals with the idea of the Lord wants us to be filled with peace. Jesus said, peace give I to thee, not as the world gives. The world gives a fake peace that doesn't last, it's not real. But Jesus wants to give a real uh, lasting peace. Um, and based on um, this story, we, we can learn what the disciples need to learn. And one of the things they needed to learn is peace in his promise. Well, Brad, I don't see any promise here in the, the story. Well, it's kind of an indirect promise. It's something they should have, you know, it's easy in hindsight to look back and say, oh, they should have trusted Jesus. 
But Jesus gave them sort of a promise indirectly. If you look at verse uh, 35, our first verse, Jesus said, red letters, let us pass over to the other side. Question, if God says, let us go over to the other side, do you think you're gonna make it? See, I, I know that that might be assuming, but, but at the same time, if Jesus says, hey, we're going over to the other side and I'm gonna be in the boat and everything, we know now, the disciples didn't know this yet, but we know now, if Jesus says, we're going to the other side, you, guys, you could, have, you could have totally been at rest. You could have been at peace knowing that Jesus said, we're going to the other side. And, and by the way, you and I have greater promises than this little mention here. Um, uh, let us go to the other side. We have more than 3,000 promises in this Bible that we hold that are given to you and me, promises that we can believe, promises that we can trust, how important it is to understand that we can put our trust in, in the Lord during times of storms and difficulties, um, peace in his promise. Um, that's the only thing, by the way, we can really bank on. One thing that might be a good reminder is for us not to assume um, that we can trust our own selves or our own knowledge or abilities. Um, you should actually not trust that. But the idea of trusting everything Jesus says, that's what we're called to do. Uh, by the way, I've noticed we have a presumptuous trust in our own selves. It's harder for us to trust Jesus than it is to trust ourselves. The Bible actually warns of this presumption in James chapter four, uh, verses 13 through 15. James said, uh, he said this, go to now that you say today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such city uh, to continue there uh, a year and buy and sell and get gain, make money. Um, whereas you know not what shall be tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and when it vanish, and then, pardon me, it vanisheth away. And then he says, for that you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. What's James saying? Don't presumptuously say, hey, we're gonna go do this, we're gonna go do that, and it's a, it's a done deal. Uh, it's as good as gold. Uh, done, you know, we're gonna trust that. Well, James says that's actually presumptuous because you don't know what is gonna happen tomorrow. Um, I think that we're, we're far too easy to trust ourselves and our plans and what we think we're doing than we are to trust Jesus and his plans and his promises. Um, by the way, uh, have you ever met, there's business people that do this and make this horrible mistake and it's, it's, it's shocking and I bet there's some in this room, but you probably don't know who you are. I've noticed there's an unawareness about this. Have you ever met the person that says, oh yeah, we just made a million dollars. And I'd, I always kind of say, you mean like you, you, it's a done deal? You mean, oh yeah, it's as good as done. We made a, we made a deal of the century. And I, I, they, they kind of talk that way. And then I say, well, is the money in the bank? Well, it's not in the bank yet. And we're gonna sign the papers tomorrow. Well, then it's not, you have not made a million dollars. And um, see, I get that from my dad. My dad always taught me, Brad, it's never, you know, don't count your chickens before they hatch. Um, <laughs> I remember when Dev and I bought our, and sold, you know, our first house. And you guys that buy and sell houses, you know how this goes. You can have earnest money down and you can have it, you know, it's as good as sold. You know, I've had people come and say, yeah, we sold our house. I'm like, did you sign the papers? Do you have the keys in your hand? Or, you know, has it been given? Because uh, uh, how many times do those deals fall through and people, they say, oh yeah, it's a done deal. This is what James is warning about. Don't be the person that goes around, you know, overconfident in self or in what you think you're doing or what's gonna happen tomorrow, but rather say, oh, if the Lord will, if it's God's will that this happened, then it's gonna happen. In the same way, you shouldn't have confidence in your own self. You can find great peace in the promises that Jesus gives. 
Um, you know, so Jesus indirectly making a promise to the disciples, hey, we're gonna go and we're gonna make it to the other side. They could have trusted him. Um, the, think about this. They could have said, you know what? Big storm, let's go to sleep. Jesus is sleeping, so let's, let's take a nap too. They could have done that. Have you ever met a Christian who is shockingly restful in the middle of a storm of their life? Uh, I've seen this as a pastor of, of, of many years. I've seen Christians that are just shockingly at peace when they should be freaking out like everybody else. Um, it's an amazing thing. And I think sometimes the Lord does this and gives that person strength even that they didn't know they would have. You know, you get the, 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 less, the, the word from the doctor, stage four, cancer. And you picture someone freaking out, but you see them with a total peace and just a trusting in the Lord. How many times have I seen that in hospital visits? People that just say, you know what? The Lord knows what he's doing here. And I'm gonna take a nap, a rest. Uh, you know, it's funny because the author of Hebrews writes this funny um, ironic statement. He says, labor that you enter into his rest. In other words, work really hard at resting like Jesus. Um, in this story, Jesus is resting in the middle of the storm. And, and that's part of the lesson. The Lord, the Lord is resting and the disciples, they need to learn from this lesson that there's peace in his promise and the Lord wants them to have peace. By the way, why does the Lord allow storms to come in our lives? Um, do we always think that life's gonna be rosy if we accept Jesus and become a Christian? Is life gonna be rosy? Bible doesn't promise that. The Bible actually promises if, if you accept Christ and you become a Christian, you might just have really bad trouble, and trials, difficulty, and even tribulation, trouble. So why does the Lord allow storms in our lives of, you know, financial challenges, relationships breaking up and you know, people being mad at you and the storms. Have you ever noticed, by the way, storms come in clumps? Like, it seems like things pile on and you're like, what in the world's going on? Um, if something like that's happening to you, even right now, you might wanna say, why? Lord, why is this happening? Not like, why? More like, Lord, what are you, what are you trying to do here? Are you, well, some storms are storms of correction where the Lord will allow a storm in your life so that you might correct your course. You're off course in life and the Lord will give you sort of a wake up call. If you were to look up corrective storm in the Bible dictionary, I'm joking here a little bit, but you'd find there's a guy in the Bible who's kind of the picture poster child of that. Anybody remember who that is? Jonah. If you look up corrective storm, Jonah's picture would be there. <laughs> and maybe as he's being barfed out of a fish. <laughs> if you remember the story, God said, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and preach their repentance to the city of Nineveh. And Jonah said, I am, am not gonna do that. God said, go. Jonah said, no. And pure, he takes off the opposite direction. And he goes in, into the town of Joppa and finds the quickest ship and jumps on a ship. And now he's sailing in the Mediterranean, the opposite direction of Nineveh. And so the Lord allows a storm to come. And man, the, sh the ship is being thrown around and, and the people are freaking out in the ship saying, we're gonna die. And Jonah's just kind of sitting back there guiltily like, oh, good luck uh, saving the ship, you know. Um, and finally he says, okay, you guys, it's my fault. I, I'm, I'm the reason the storm is here. And the guy's like, what have you done to us? And they tried to throw stuff overboard and save the ship. But finally they said, okay, Jonah's the problem. So they threw him overboard. And God created a big trout. I say that jokingly because people think, well, whales can't swallow men. Well, um, God could create whatever kind of, it says God sent a fish. It could have been a guppy goldfish uh, that was as big as this room. 
God can do whatever he wants. But he, God sent a big fish that swallowed Jonah up and started taking him back where he needed to go. Barfed him up on the beach. There's half digested Jonah walking into Nineveh uh, saying, repent, everybody repent. And they all, whew, we repent. Uh, it's like, like what, what was that like to see a half digested Jonah walking through Nineveh? Anyway, the point is God sent that storm that was gonna crush that ship um, to actually correct Jonah's bad behavior. Some of the storms you might experience are the Lord saying, wake up, you're going the wrong way. You're doing the wrong things, corrective. But some of them are not just storms of correction. Some of them are storms of perfection where the Lord is perfecting his work in you. The Bible says, let us move on to perfection. The idea is full maturity. And the Lord will allow storms in your life to grow you, to stretch you, to teach you. I think that's what's happening here with these disciples. I don't think the Lord was trying to correct the disciples as much as he was trying to perfect the disciples and, and grow them to be men that would start to put their trust in Jesus. They were not trusting Jesus. They had no faith and they're freaking out. It was a storm of the Lord you know, perfecting them. By the way, what was he preparing them for? Well, these are the same guys as we studied a few weeks ago that they were bumbling, stumbling, goofy disciples, but eventually in time hanging out with Jesus, they became great apostles who boldly would stand before the Sanhedrin and say, you were the ones who crucified Jesus. Well, don't say the name of Jesus anymore, they said to the disciples. And Jesus said, we will obey God rather than men. What gives a, an, an apostle such boldness? Well, we know the spirit was filling them at that point, which we learned last couple of weeks. But we also know that they'd been taught some lessons by Jesus himself to put their trust in Jesus. I wonder if they would reflect back, oh, remember the storm when we were freaking out and Jesus was asleep? Um, I wonder if they think back, oh man, we should have been trusting Jesus. And we learned that lesson. See, you and I have the blessing of learning here in the sanctuary, this story of the storm. And by the way, Christian brother, sister, you will either learn here in the sanctuary or you will learn out in the storm. It's gonna happen one way or the other. I would recommend the sanctuary. Uh, because the storm can be kind of brutal. But the Lord is faithful. If he wants to per perfect his work in you, you can trust that the Lord will send the storm or allow the storm um, so that uh, you can learn to trust him. That's one of the things um, that the Lord had to do through these guys. By the way, um, it's not just the storm itself. Sometimes there's the aftermath of the storm. The Lord continues to teach you those lessons. Um, Noah is a great example of that. People think Noah was on the ark for 40 days and 40 nights. no. It rained for 40 days and 40 nights. He was on the ark. Does anybody remember how long? Just over a year. If you do the Genesis math, how long he was in the ark? Over a year with manure piling up on that boat. Elephant manure. Dinosaur manure. Uh, I mean, like, this is a problem. But he endured that long storm. Um, and, and one thing I want to say, if you're in a storm situation, the reason I bring up Noah is, um, you know, storms do come to an end eventually. Uh, it, it, one of the great phrases of the Bible, it came to pass. In Genesis chapter eight, one, it says, and God remembered Noah. That always cracks me up because I kind of picture, you know, Noah floating for a year uh, there in the ark. And, on, on, and all of a sudden the Bible says, God remembered Noah. It's like, oh, my bad, I forgot. I killed everybody on the earth and then, oh, but Noah and his family, oh, man, I almost left, forgot them. No, that's not what it says. The idea is God never forgot Noah. He didn't, you know, bail on Noah. He, he remembered Noah 
And then I love the phrasing in the, in the next, next verses. It says in Genesis 8, verses six or seven, and it came to pass. Uh, Genesis 8, verse 13, and it came to pass. The storm came to pass and Noah and his family would go t- to safety. Maybe that's a word for some of you that have been in the middle of a storm and you've been there for a long time. Um, these things will come to pass. That's a great phrase of the Bible. I love that. Well, anyway, all that to say, um, you know, the storms will eventually end and the, the promises of God can get us through those storms with peace. Um, peace in his promises. Um, do you know the promises of God? I talked about the Jesus Person Pocket Promise book a few weeks ago and um, some of you went on Amazon and got some old copies of it and you found it. I saw some social media stuff about, hey, we found that old book. It's a, it's a little booklet that shows 300 of the promises of the Bible. I think it's 300. And it, um, and it puts them in topical order. And it just reminds you some of the promises of God's word. It's not helpful if you don't know the promises of God's word. But the word is full of promises. You might be thinking, oh no, I'm going down financially. We're gonna starve. Our family's gonna be in trouble. Um, There's promises. Philippians chapter four, verse 19, but my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory. According to his riches, is the Lord rich? Does the Lord lack for anything? Um, We could put our trust in the Lord. The Lord's not gonna leave us unhelped. Um, We might get into trouble. It's not to say we're not gonna go through the storm, but we can put our trust in the promises of God, uh, how the Lord takes good care of us, very important. Well, we have peace in his promise, number one. Number two, we have peace in his presence. Um, I love this story because the disciples could have known, well, if Jesus is in the boat, we're in good shape. Um, and, And sometimes, you know, it's obvious that Jesus is with you, but other times it's not so much. Um, You know, there's some other people in this story that we might forget. It says here in verse 36, did you see what it said? It said, and Jesus was in the ship with them, but there were also with him other little ships. There were other little boats in the same storm that these disciples were in, but they didn't have Jesus in their boat. Sometimes you might feel that way, that I'm going through a storm and I'm not sure Jesus is with me. Is Jesus with me? Well, here's the thing. If you're a Christian and if you accepted Christ, you may not see him, you may not feel him, but Jesus, this is one of those promises of the word. Matthew, you can jot it down. Matthew 28, 20. Jesus declared, he said, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world, amen. That's what he says. I'm with you always. I will never leave you, Hebrews 13, five. I will never forsake you. You might feel alone, but you're not. The Lord is with you. If you're a Christian, now, if you're not a Christian, I I can't really promise that the Lord is with you. You're kind of on your own by choice. When you become a Christian and receive the gospel, that is to repent of your sin and acknowledge your need to be saved from hell and uh, forgiven of your sins, you accept Jesus who died on the cross for your sins with confession in the mouth and believing in the heart to accept Jesus and say, I accept that work, you're saved. Um, And then Christ is with you through the rest of your life. And you can know that it's all gonna work out for the good. Well, what if you die? Well, if you're a Christian, by the way, death is the best thing that'll ever happen to you. When you die, you get to go to heaven and be with the Lord for all eternity. That's the best day of your life. I know people freak out about death, but this is another thing. Facing death is where you'll have peace in his promises, but also peace in his presence. Um, 
Very, very important to understand. You, they, they could have just totally chilled out because Jesus was in their boat. Um, even in the storm, Jesus was at peace. And um, by the way, um, isn't it sh- shocking that Jesus could sleep in a boat that's in a storm? Um, I've actually done this. Uh, Debbie and I went on a dive trip with a bunch of Athey Creekers back in 2016. We took, I think it was about 25 Athey Creekers, um, Blackbeard's tours. Um, and in Blackbeard's, it, was, it, was, it sounds impressive, but it was actually a 65 foot sailing vessel. Um, and it was, um, it was very small. And there we were in this little, taking off in the Bahamas to go do 15 dives over a six day journey on the, on the ocean, in the open ocean. Um, and it was really fun. The second night, however, we had a hurricane. It was only a category one, but it, you know, have you ever been in a category one hurricane, 80 mile an hour winds with uh, a 65 foot sailboat in the ocean? Um, you know, it was, it was quite a ride. I remember um, in this spacious sleeping area, um, Debbie and I had a bunk and it was about this wide. Uh, if you do the math on that, thank the Lord Debbie's tiny. Um, but we're up there in our little bunk and the, uh, the, the ship is being thrown all over all night long. And it was so tight, I could reach through the curtain that was right here and pat my buddy on the shoulder who was in the bunk next door. Like they're right here. Hey, how are you guys doing over there? Well, in the night I got thrown out of my bunk twice, just tossed across the room. Uh, that's not a great sight to see Pastor Brett flying across the sailboat. <laughs> but, um, but, uh, it was funny because we all came out the next morning, you know, and the winds had calmed and we all kind of came out and everybody was drinking coffee, even the people that didn't drink coffee. And we're all just like, how'd you sleep? Uh, not at all. Like we, we, we tried to sleep that night, but there was zero sleep because we were, well, the tiny ship was tossed. Um, if not for the courage of the fearless group. Well, anyway, I'm sorry. <laughs> Getting back to my Amazing Grace song from Wednesday night. Anyways, so, um, so Jesus is in the storm and he's able to sleep in the storm. And this is interesting. How many of you, you know, not of show of hands, this is a rhetorical question. How many of you wanna go to sleep at night, but because your brain is in the middle of a storm of information and stuff that you're going through and man, you just can't get your brain to sign off for the day. And there you are trying to sleep. Um, and, and what do you do? A lot of people do the wrong thing. They grab their iPhone and start scrolling. That's not a good way to go to sleep, by the way. They, the science tells you even the light from the screen of your iPhone or whatever uh, only wakes you up further. What should you do? I believe the best way to deal with that is to d- just do the one, go to the one who knows how to sleep during the storm, Jesus, and seek him. Ask him for help. Cast your cares on him and he will stay, sustain you. He'll never let the righteous fall. Put your trust in Jesus's promise, but also have peace in his presence. And I think that when you're, you know, a lot of people just keep trying to sleep and they keep closing their eyes on and they're staring up into the darkness, trying to go to sleep. But I wonder if there's a secret to saying, instead of just trying to force yourself to go to sleep, what if you pressed into the one who's the Prince of Peace, Jesus? Seek him in prayer um, to, to ask him for help, uh, to tap into Jesus and find peace in his presence. Um, you know, we have access to Christ. And, um, and even though these other little ships didn't know Jesus was in the sea, they could have figured it out and found out that Jesus was there too uh, and calmed the storm. Um, and and they, those other ships, those other little ships, they thought they were alone. Uh, by the way, you might feel alone in the storm you're in, but you know what? There's a lot of Athey Creekers probably here that are going through the same things you are. Watch out for that, you know, I alone am going through trouble. 
Um, you know, there's so many times people, I, I see this as a pastor, people think they're alone, but there's other little ships in the storm too that are going through the same thing. Do you remember in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 22, where Elijah the prophet said, I alone am a prophet of the Lord. I alone have not bowed the knee to Baal. And he's kind of wowsy, wowsy, woo, woo. You know, woe is me, Elijah was saying. Uh, but then he did the whole prophets of Baal thing called fire from heaven. You know, and the Lord gave him great victory and it all worked out. But in chapter 19, the next chapter, verse 18, God comes up to Elijah and goes, Elijah, come here for a second. Um, hello, there's actually 7,000 people who haven't bowed the knee to Baal. You're not the only one. Why did God tell Elijah that? Um, I think sometimes we have the Elijah mentality, I alone am the only one. But um, one of the things that is helpful is to know there's a lot of people that are going through the struggles and challenges, the storms. You're not alone. Um, and guess what? The reason that's important is because um, if, there, if you're not alone, the Lord gets a lot of people through all kinds of trouble all the time. We can have our peace in the midst of the storm because of his presence, because he's there with you and he'll never leave you, nor will he forsake you. David, the, the psalmist, did he ever have storms in his life? Some of his storms were corrective. Some of those storms were per, uh, perfective. But um, nonetheless, I love this line in the Psalm, Psalm 4.8. He said, I will both lay me down in peace and sleep for thou, Lord, only makest me dwell in safety. <coughs> and so David knew how to sleep. It was trusting in the Lord and his protection and safety. Another promise uh, of the Bible, you will have trouble. But check this out, it's, it's John 16, Jesus said, these things have I spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. When I was a kid, I used to read this and think, well, good for Jesus. I'm really happy, Jesus, that you have overcome the world, but I'm not overcoming and I'm struggling. But then I started to realize what this means. Jesus spoke this stuff that you might have peace in the world, you will have tribulation. This is a promise of God's word, but you can be happy, be of good cheer because Jesus said, I've overcome the world. You see, when I have Christ in my heart as a believing Christian, Christ is in me. And because I'm in Christ and Christ is in me, when he overcomes the world, you overcome the world. You gotta understand and picture yourself in Christ Jesus. That's the, the operative thing there because he overcame the world. If he does that, you get to do that. It's peace that comes from having him in your life as a Christian. He has overcome. Um, that's important. I love the promises of God's word. I love Isaiah 43 too. Maybe you should jot this down, even memorize this one. Um, it says in Isaiah 43 too, when thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. This is a promise of God's word that he'll keep you and protect you and um, give you peace because of his presence. Well, that brings us to the third, I guess, observation. Peace in his promise, peace in his present presence, but also number three, peace in his power. Um, do you know that Christ, his power is greater than the little storm you're in right now, whatever that might be, or the storms you might face? Keep that in mind. Um, you know, one thing that Christians do is we get fearful and we start freaking out because of storms um, in the come. But we have to remember, the Lord is greater than my storm. I don't have to freak out because the Lord is powerful. 
And Jesus demonstrated that by just turning to the wind and the waves. He rebuked the wind and he said, peace, be still. By the way, little sideline freebie for you. Most scholars believe there's a spiritual nuance that's easily missed in this story. And that has to do with demonic evil that's involved with the storm. You say, I don't see that. Where's demonic evil in here? Well, it's, it's actually more in the original language. Uh, in the Matthew 8, 24 storm account, uh, it's called a great tempest in the sea is what it was called. And the word tempest is seismos, where we get our word seismic, or uh, you know, uh, the, the Greek word seismos means a tempest, a commotion, a shaking, an earthquake. Um, and and uh, the entomology is seismic or earthquake. Cataclysmic shaking, that's the word the storm is described as. But did Jesus just calm the storm by just you know, screaming at it or whatever? No, it's interesting that Jesus said, peace, be still. The Greek word for be still is where it starts to get really interesting. The Greek word for be still is phimao, which means to muzzle, to be muzzled. You say, okay, Brett, that, that's a stretch. You're saying Jesus rebukes the wind. Well, what did the wind ever do to be rebuked? It's just wind. Uh, but the, the word rebuke um, is a word that's often associated with Satan. Remember when Michael, the archangel, battled with Satan in the book of Jude and Michael said, the Lord rebuke thee, Satan. Jesus says, um, he, I rebuke the wind. And then he says, peace, be still, fimao, which means be muzzled. Does anybody wanna take a guess? When was the only other time in the Bible Jesus used the word fimao? It was in the context of casting out demons. Isn't that interesting? So most scholars believe that there's something demonic, even dark and evil behind this storm. Um, well, Brett, you said God sent the storm. Well, actually, if you notice, I've been careful to say God allowed this storm. Jesus allowed this storm to happen. There's a difference. Um, are some storms sent from God? Maybe. Um, but I, I think we also have to be careful because Satan's trying to mess up the whole Jesus plan from the book of Genesis all the way to the end. Do you understand that? Remember on Wednesday night, we talked about the seed and we followed, it's called carpology, the study of the seed in the Bible and how there's good seed and corrupt seed. And all throughout the Bible, there's always this trying to mix up the seed and corrupt the seed. And we talked about how Satan's constantly trying, trying to corrupt and even disrupt the coming of a Messiah. Could it be that this is just Satan being more disruptive with the storm? Because Jesus handles it almost as if it's a, an evil entity. I rebuke the wind and be muzzled. The same thing he told demons. What's going on there? I wouldn't die on this battlefield, but I, I do know that sometimes the storms we face are not just corrective and not just you know, perfective, but could they be just a spiritual battle? Could it be the enemy trying to mess with you and cause you to be fearful? Some storms I think come from just the enemy trying to mess with you. That's the bad news. The good news is greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We don't have to freak out or be you know, fearful. Um, if you're old like me, do you remember in the 80s, the This Present Darkness series books uh, where the it was all about demons and spiritual warfare? It was actually kind of good in the sense that it brought to light that there is demon stuff and warfare, spiritual warfare. But I also watched the church kind of freak out a little bit. 
Church got a little heebie-jeebie. Do you guys remember? Some of you older people remember how people were, there was a demon behind everything. Uh, I've got a backache. I got the demon of backache. I rebuke you, demon. No, you just been over wrong. You haven't been working out very much lately. So your back's got thrown out. Like, like we were blaming everything on demons back in those days. But, but at the same time, I need you to know that um, the, the, the works of evil are very real. And, um, and I think it's interesting that Jesus used spiritual terms to squash this storm. That's an interesting thing. But we don't have to run around looking for demons behind every door and freaking out and you know, gyrating and you know, doing exorcisms like the movies and green vomit and spinning heads. That's just all drama. We put our trust in and we have peace in his power, not our own. And we don't have to freak out about the enemy because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We trust the Lord. I love that. Peace in his power to overcome the storm. We rest in that. Don't forget the Lord is powerful. He's mighty to save. And we can rejoice in the power and the strength of our Lord. Now, I'm gonna do a little sideline note here because we're talking about who controls the weather. Isn't it funny that mankind tries to control weather and we fail every single time? Like, you know, it's funny, our technology gets us through all kinds of things. Uh, we, man's technology, you know, has made it easy for us to eat food and easy for us to survive and easy for us to, to, to build homes. And like technology, we've done a lot. But there's one thing in this world that shockingly we haven't figured out how to control is the weather. Not only have we not figured out how to control it, we really aren't even that great at predicting it. Um, you say, well, the weatherman, you know, maybe a few days, they're pretty good at that. But even that, like the guy on Portland TV, the weatherman who was grading himself, was getting too many Fs, so he stopped grading himself. Why, why is that? Because we haven't figured it out. And when, even when we know the weather is coming, like a hurricane down in Florida, the best we can do is put plywood on our windows down there. I'm so thankful that we don't live down there. I mean, I know it's sunny and stuff. It's a great place to visit, but keep me out of those hurricanes. I don't want any part of that. Um, but you know what's amazing to me? We can't do anything. We're, we're at, at you know, the mercy, as the world would say, of mother nature. Uh, but see, I, I just wanna make a point here. Who's the one who has power over the wind and the waves? And who's the one who can control that? Well, as it turns out, it's not man. And it's obvious we, we can't control that. You know, if you look it up, look up the most deadly floods storms that have happened in the history of the world. Um, the top, like four of them, the, the top one, four million people in China died because of one flood. Four million people died. Hurricane, death, uh, like we, we can't, earthquakes, we, it's out of our control. The reason I bring that up is because if it, I just wanna give you a heads up, and I know this might sound very political. I'm not wanting to be political. I'm actually being biblical here. That's why I'm talking about this. But have you noticed the rebellion against God that's so blatant and obvious? Um, let me start with this one. God says in his word, I've created them male and female. Female and male did I create them. Jesus affirms that in Mark chapter 10. Male and female did he create them. But the world said, no, he did not. The world rebels and says, no, there's, there's male and female, but there's an unlimited amount of genders. And God says, no, I made them male and female. That's why we as Christians don't just wanna go around lying about pronouns and stuff like that. It's, it's, it's actually what God says. And, and it's really important that we understand that. Okay, now let's go into another controversial topic, climate change. Do you understand 
that climate change is man's attempt to control the weather and the climate and the future of the world in the area that we cannot help. Um, Brett, you're being irresponsible. You shouldn't talk about this. It's a political. You know what? It's not political, it's spiritual. God actually says in his word that he's gonna keep the seasons as they are until his second coming. Um, the world's gonna continue on until he allows the earth to be destroyed. Uh, Hebrews chapter one says the Lord eventually is gonna fold up the earth like an old garment and put it away. That's what he says. Peter doesn't mix it up at all. He says the Lord's gonna destroy this earth with a fervent heat. So do you believe in global warming, Pastor Brett? I sure do. It's gonna happen really fast and all of a sudden the earth's gonna melt. Bible says that. Now, if I can't appeal to you biblically that the Lord is in control of the weather and the climate of the earth and stuff like that, if I can't convince you biblically, which it's easy to convince uh, a person who at least reads their Bible, can I at least try to convince you for a second logically? Because see, logically, all the experts have been saying weird things since I was a child. If you're old as me, do you guys remember in the 70s, they were saying, ice age, the ice age is coming. And a great fearful mongering was happening. We were all afraid. And I didn't like that one because I thought, oh man, I hate the cold and, and uh, I don't want to live in the ice. And I remember as a kid in the 70s thinking, the ice age. And that was what it was. It was global cooling and the ice age is coming again. But then it changed somewhere along the way to global warming. And I was like, I'll take global warming over global cooling. I like 90 degree weather. May 90, count me in. Um, but oh, but Brett, the experts, the ice caps, the polar ice caps and the polar bear. Didn't you see the video of the poor sickly polar bear? All of that was a total farce. Do you understand that? If you, if you actually look at the story, the polar bear was known to have worms and it was a sickly polar bear that National Geographic got a video of and then showed that as, look at all the polar bears, they're weak and sickly. It was all, and, and by the way, um, you know, this whole notion, it's, you don't even have to be that smart. If you go back 20 plus years to Inconvenient Truth by that sage of wisdom, Al Gore, talking how the earth by the, you know, 2020, it would be this and that. Um, how many of his predictions have come to pass? Zip, zero, he was completely wrong. I'm surprised nobody really wants to talk about that. Meanwhile, that other brilliant scientist, AOC, said that the earth <laughs> is gonna be uninhabitable in 12 years. Well, we're like five years into that. Is it really looking like, oh, we're in real peril? Um, you know, New York will be underwater, they said, by 2020. You know, uh, here's, the, here's the problem. It's not even just those claims. It's, do you see, Christians, it's becoming a religion. It's just like the pagan religions of ancient times where people would worship the creation rather than the creator. And that's what we're seeing with climate change people. It's become a, a, a point of worship. And I understand why people have been duped into believing it's a, you know, a huge concern. But as it turns out, weather and climate, um, we, can, we can say, you know what, we trust the Lord. But are you suggesting we trash the planet? Well, that's ridiculous. Nobody that I know who doesn't believe in climate change is saying, let's just put garbage everywhere and you know, trash the planet. Of course not, of course not. We're actually called to be good stewards of the earth. That's what we're called. And most Christians I know, that's absolutely what they believe. But we're not gonna buy into this paganism of earth worship. And, and boy, I hope as time goes by, you see the fallacy of that. God controls the weather. God controls the earth and the climate. And, um, and there's a, if you really see it, there's you know, real scientists 
who have been canceled and silenced because of dollars uh, that, that are, have tried to say, you guys, this isn't something we should be concerned about. Uh, they're all being canceled and silenced, just like all the other things. This, by the way, shouldn't shock us. The Bible says in the last days they would call, call things science, but it would be science falsely so-called. And we, those who claim to be wise have become as fools. That's what we're seeing today. Why did you go into that? Well, it's funny because in a way you could call this a, a storm that I believe is quite demonic in our current day of climate change. And it's making people fearful and do weird things, act like the disciples. Well, don't you know we're gonna perish? And the Lord would say, why are you so afraid? Where is your faith? I would say that to the Christian church today that's buying into this fearful narrative. We need to put our trust in the Lord when it comes to the climate and the earth. The Bible spells out perfectly what's gonna happen to the earth. We, there's no mystery there. It's only mysterious if you don't believe your Bible and if you listen to all these people who've been saying the claims. If you want Klaus Schwab to be your you know, leader, go ahead and follow him if you will. Dr. Evil is what I call him. Um, but uh, World Economic Forum and all the agendas of these people, come on Christians, it's time to wake up and see it's, it's just the enemy. We have peace in his power peace in his promises and peace in his presence. We're gonna make it. We're gonna make it through the storm. That's the good news of the gospel of Jesus. Amen?